Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Rishika, are you a millennial? I am Gen Z. I am barely Gen Z. I'm 23. You're Gen Z. Oh my God. See, I'm on I'm on the young end of millennials, so I'm I'm used to being uh, the younger one. This will be fun. You can like teach me about what the uh, the kids are hip to these days. <laughs> Honestly, that's been basically the entire process of doing this project. I remember the first time when we held our planning meeting, and there were just so many editors, just so confused that there were Gen Zers actually in the newsroom. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And hey, editors, we do have Gen Zers in the newsroom. In fact, today we're talking to one, Rishika Dugyala, on the fight for younger voters and how they could influence the November election. There are the boomers, there's Gen X, there's my box, the millennials. But young people are covered by more than just that title. Gen Z is the next wave. And turns out there's quite a bit that makes them uniquely them. A lot of times when we talk about young voters, especially now, we're talking about a pretty wide range, 18-year-olds to maybe even 29-year-olds. And this year, that includes millennials and Generation Z. While millennials are roughly defined by being born between 1981 and 1995, those dubbed Gen Z were born from 1996 on, with the oldest of them now in their early 20s. They're similar in many ways. Generation Z is following a lot of the footsteps millennials have laid out around kind of hoping for really progressive change and activist government, kind of distrust in institutions um, and prioritizing ideas over party establishments. And we've seen children and young adults across the country marching, protesting and standing up for social injustices. Begs the question, what is it about Generation Z that's making them speak out more than their much older counterparts? But. They are different, uh, namely in technology usage. Generation Z is extremely digitally native, has been comfortable online, you know, throughout growing up. I use social media, I think, nearly constantly. I'm like always on it. I'm like either checking Twitter or I'm checking Instagram or I'm responding to messages on Facebook or looking at uh, TikTok is the thing I've been doing a lot lately. They also did not live through 9-11. This pandemic is really the main moment that's shaping the world and the country for them. Um, you know, this is how they're learning how to interact with the world as they're stepping into adulthood, but also political power. They make up one-tenth of the electorate this year. So we really just wanted to zone in on the youngest voters and how they're balancing just the chaos of 2020 with also this new way of interacting with technology, with politics, and what even sets them apart when it comes to engaging them from millennials, not just older generations like boomers and Gen X. You surveyed a thousand Gen Z voters for this project. Um, they'll be heading to the polls or I guess this time around sending in mail-in ballots a lot of the time for the first time in their lives this election. From your surveys, who did you find Gen Z voters support in this presidential election? 
It's no secret that Generation Z is more left of center than older generations are, even millennials. So they're pretty squarely in Biden's camp. Um, a lot of them are driven by strong anti-Trump sentiment and this desire for change, especially with the pandemic and the protests of this year. That actually had a lot of them pointing to the fact they were more likely to vote for Joe Biden. When you look at the numbers breakdown, 51% of Generation Z respondents said they would vote for Joe Biden compared to only 25% who said they would vote for Donald Trump. And that's the widest gap that you'll see for any generation. But you still see through the numbers that they're not fully sold on a Biden-led Democratic Party. You know, a lot of them who say they are voting for Biden are mainly doing it out of backlash to Donald Trump. But they're also dealing with questions around voting, right? It's hard to be a first-time voter in any case, and in a pandemic election, it's made even worse. For years, elections in the U.S. looked something like this. Voters showing up at school gymnasiums to cast their ballots. But the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the way many Americans will vote this year. We're focusing on vote by mail. Young people, Generation Z, don't really mail things. And I feel like I can say that as a 23-year-old. The first time I mailed something <laughs> was my ballot in 2016. So that plus the fact that they're dealing with new laws around ID, voting in person, there's not a lot of confidence in you know, actually casting their ballot. So how will this all come together in November is yet to be determined. What are the issues you've found younger voters care most about? I mean, both young Republicans and young progressives. There's a lot of different studies on this, but you'll see the Pew Research Center did um, kind of an analysis of Generation Z and how they differ from older generations. One thing that they find even young conservatives are kind of in line with their liberal peers on is climate change. Like it's something that's happening right now and it's something that's going to last a while unless we do something soon. Why are you so passionate about the climate? I think it's something that's going to last my whole future. And it's, like I said, we don't have a lot of time to change something, so this is the election where we have to do that. They're also pretty similar on race and the idea that a government should be activists or the idea of a big government. So even compared to older conservatives, younger conservatives are more liberal on those issues. Um, and that speaks to a lot of what was in the news and kind of really being focused on this year. Um, when you talk about what is on their mind three weeks away from the election. Climate change has always been big, but you see that the pandemic and the protests against systemic racism are now kind of bumping climate change a little bit lower on the priority list. They may be young, but they're mighty. Generation Z is protesting across the country and close to home. It's time to step up. It's time to make sure that y'all know we're not we're not backing down anymore. We're tired of it. And that's kind of really motivating people to make a difference at the last possible minute. You hear from organizers on the ground that the Black Lives Matter protests were actually really crucial to driving up community engagement. So we're going to be seeing um, a lot of that being a motivator. How are we seeing both President Trump's campaign and the Biden campaign trying to tap into some of that and win over young voters. Yeah, and this is where the pandemic has made things, you know, obviously difficult, but also a little bit interesting in terms of organizing. Um, lots of young voting advocates have kind of thought 
campaigns treat digital organizing as a side hustle, that they're not necessarily as invested in figuring out how young people, Generation Z specifically, lives online. They're on Instagram, but they're really on TikTok, they're on Snapchat. And so now we're also seeing this kind of desire for a community online, an organic community that encourages people to talk about politics and then mobilizes them to vote. We see that with Joe Biden tapping into Animal Crossing a little bit. Joe Biden's campaign is taking a digital detour on the road to the White House. You're looking at an image of the wildly popular video game Animal Crossing New Horizons on Nintendo. So players are now able to decorate their digital homes with official Biden for president yard signs. He's also done some Twitter AMAs. He's done some celebrity video sharing on platforms like Cameo. He's released new lenses on Snapchat for Gen Zers um, to kind of use as they motivate their peers to get to the polls. Donald Trump has done a lot of work with digital organizing on social media platforms. Um, a lot of polling has come out and you see that Generation Z specifically point to being flooded by Trump digital campaign ads on YouTube. They riot, loot, take over cities. And now the radical left wing of the Democratic Party has taken control. Joe Biden stands with them and embraces their policies. Um, on Facebook, even on Instagram. You won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. Um, and TikTok has been really interesting to watch because you're not allowed to put digital ads on there if you're a campaign, but it's become increasingly political with the rise of protesting and sort of digital spread of information around the Black Lives Matter protests and kind of converted into let's get TikTok and Gen Z behind certain political candidates. Okay, so now Aiden, will you tell us about your new project, TikTok for Biden? TikTok for Biden. I started it on, well, so the, the idea kind of came to me um, the night of the presidential debate, which was obviously like insane. Um, and, like, you have TikTokers for Biden that's popped up. And now we are at 350 total creators with a combined following of about 145 million, which is a higher follower count than the number of voters there were in the 2016 election, which is just absolutely insane. You have a lot of uh, Trump surrogates on that app pushing forward um, messaging that's saying that Gen Zers are conservatives too. Trigger warning. <laughs> I exist. I love Trump. Hey. Hey, I'm a vote, Trump 2020, Trump so that's been an interesting space. When it comes down to it, how much does the Gen Z vote really matter? Like, could it really make a difference in this election? Yeah, I mean, Gen Z is one tenth of the electorate. And when you combine them with younger millennials, especially, there is research that shows it could make a difference in key states. When you look at Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, others, a lot of the time, the margin of victory there is smaller than youth turnout in the past. So if we really are able to mobilize young people, they absolutely can make a difference. It's just a matter of whether the messaging will work when it comes to November. Rishika Dugyala, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you. Also today... The confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett are over, and Senate Republicans are moving swiftly to confirm the Supreme Court nominee ahead of the November election. Yesterday, the Senate Judiciary Committee officially scheduled a vote to approve her nomination on October 22nd, 
And Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he plans to bring her to the floor the following day, likely culminating in a final Senate vote just a few days before the election. And new state data shows that Florida Republicans are closing in on a longtime voter registration edge held by Democrats. The numbers mark a positive sign for the state GOP and President Trump as he tries to prevent Joe Biden from taking Florida in November. The Democratic edge is now down to the closest margin in recent history at 134,000 more than Republicans. For context, when President Obama won the state in 2012, Democrats held an advantage of more than 530,000, and in 2016, they had a 327,000 edge when Trump won the state. The Politico Dispatch team includes Jenny Ament and Sadiq Reddy. Our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening. The way to bring this country to its knees is to choke off our supply. Imagine for a second our globe as a series of supply chains. Food, everyday goods, and raw materials zooming across the world in a single day. But what if those global supply chains suddenly ground to a halt? It's not just about finding which vaccines work. It's about preparing the manufacturing and supply chains for those. And if one little detail in those supply chains goes wrong, we might not be getting vaccines to people when they desperately need them. The global pandemic showed us what it's like when we can't get the things we need. Masks, personal protective equipment, even toilet paper. There's simply not enough raw materials. We have to figure out how to get this right. There is a bigger story behind the scarcity. We need to fight back against China. A bigger picture with implications for our future. That's going to be a major challenge. On this season of Global Translations, where has globalization fallen short? And where do we go from here? The 90s called and their economics is not what we need now. I'm Louisa Savage. I've spent my career thinking about the global forces that shape our world. Join me and other journalists from Politico. A new season of Global Translations coming October 21st. Presented by City, a leading global bank. <laughs>